Rich Gumbar is an artist with a BFA from Pratt Institute. Rich ran the professional services crew at the Guggenheim in the 90s and the 2000s. I was fortunate enough to not only have worked with Joe Adams and the art handlers, but to also have worked with the builders and the painters under Rich. These were high-stress, labor-intensive gigs, but most of the time they were fun. All my co-workers were artists or creatives of some kind. I used to call him Coach because I'm a smartass, but only after this talk did I learn he played football in high school and might have continued if not for a life-changing event. Checking in with Rich after all these years was awesome. Hello. Hey, Rich. How are you? I'm good, man. How are you? Good, good. How was your morning? Did you have time to uh, warm up your vocal cords? <clears throat> yes. <laughs> I did all my vocal exercises. Awesome. <laughs> uh, what are you working on right now? Having a sip of water. Um, I'm in the studio. Mm -hmm. I'm, uh, I'm, doing, I'm doing a series. Of, I used to own a house in upstate New York mm -hmm. in, in the Mohawk Valley, which is a beautiful, beautiful uh. area. And one day I was scrolling through photographs on the computer and I, you know, there were a bunch of them. I didn't take too many photographs because this was back in the eighties. Yeah. No, but what no I took, that's what got me to be a landscape painter, uh -huh. like having the house up there. Yeah. And I was looking at him and I thought, you know, I, I, I've been up there since I lost the house in my divorce. Oh, oops. And yeah, it was, it's, that's a story. But not for the podcast. Okay. <laughs> uh, another time. Another time, yeah. But I've been up there, and the last time I was there, I went to photograph a barn I've painted many times and sold many paintings on. Uh -huh. And I had to go by my house, and I went by, and I barely looked at it. And my wife said, you know, what's up for that? And I said, I'm, I'm done with it. You know, I'm, it's over. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and uh, when we went to where the barn was, uh, it, it, it had collapsed. It was collapsing over the years. So it was gone. It mm -hmm. was just a field. So I was pretty sad about that. Mm -hmm. But I saw all these photographs. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to do a series of paintings. And I think there's like 21 photographs I chose of that area up there because you know, if you woke up early in the mornings, you know, you would get this field mist and this beautiful yeah. light. And then there were these beautiful panoramas. Mm -hmm. It was just like, just such a great area. So I'm working on this series of paintings. I'm calling them the Bush paintings because my house was off of Ford's Bush Road. Okay. Uh, and that was an area of the country where, where I was. Ford uh, Bush. So Ford's Bush. Okay. Ford's okay. Bush. Okay. Um, and... Uh, it's all these little towns up there. The town was Fort Plain, but the section was Danube, and then the subsection was Ford's Bush. But everybody knew it. They said, "Where's your house?" And it's up in the bush. And they go, "Oh yeah, oh okay, near okay. Fiery Hill." Okay, it's this like, is yeah, near Fiery Hill. This is New Upstate New York, not Upstate New York. Yeah. Okay, all right. Yeah, Exit Twenty Nine off the New York State Thruway, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, that was the that was the exit you took to go to Cooperstown. Okay. Cooperstown's like 32 miles from that exit. So, yeah, it, it was just, so I'm working on that. And, of course, I'm working on local things and I'm drawing. I'm doing more nest drawings and mm -hmm. um, actually just uh, decided uh, with Diane Tenerelli. I don't know if you remember Diane. Not sure. Yeah, she was, she, was a, she was a little nervous kid. Uh -huh. Um, and, uh, she kind of quit like game for it did too. on your she crew. My, what's that on your, on your crew, on the pro serve. On the crew. On, okay. Yeah. On pro serve. She, she came into the office one day and I, I was, I was in there and she said, I'm done with this shit. She goes, I can't take the egos and 
you know, the uh-huh. testosterone and everything, uh-huh. and she left. Well, so I re- yeah, there was a lot of that, though. But... <laughs> oh, there was, oh, there was a fuck of a lot of it, <laughs> you know, and guys farting and, you know. What? Making... Who did that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it, it wasn't me is all. It wasn't you. No. no, no. They, Judy thought you were homeless, but you weren't farting. No, yeah. Yeah. Not my but, painting uh, clothes. <laughs> yes. But Diane and I reconnected on Facebook, and uh-huh. she apologized, and I said, look, I get it. You yeah. know, it's like we all burned out. Yeah. But uh, she's she's been doing these beautiful watercolor drawings, so I commented on one. I said, I want one. And she, mm-hmm. and, and she said, you want to trade? And I said, sure. Ah. So I'm sending her a nest, and she's sending me a drawing. Ah, beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah, it's nice. It's always nice to do that. I still have your painting down. Oh, yeah, uh, and I still have uh, yours. Yeah, beautiful, oh, misty. Misty landscape. Yeah, you know what you should do if what? you can? Take hmm. a photo and uh, and message it to me. Okay. I can't remember what I gave you. <laughs> I will. Yeah, I will. I'll do that. I'll do yeah, that. that'd be cool. Yeah. Because yeah. about 10 years ago, I, you know, I was selling so, so much more artwork and everything. Mm-hmm. My wife said, you got to keep track of this. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, I should. Yeah, and it took should. a couple of years to... Mm-hmm put things together and find old slides and scan them and put them in the computer. And um, now I keep track of everything, you know? So it's nice. She gets, she's, she's a Capricorn. She's very organized. Ah, ah, I'm a Pisces, you know, I just kind of stumble. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I just stumble through the day. (laughs) (laughs) I was amazed I could do that job at the Guggenheim. So well, so, so against my nature. (laughs) You pulled it off. <laughs> I so, did. I did. listen, what was your first, like, just job job? Like, not, not art handling or, like, before art school or after art school? One what of was them. my first, first real job? First real job or, you know, something you remember? Yeah, my first real job was running numbers for running the bookies n- at Bridgeport. Dude. Yeah. That, that's <laughs> not, that sounds against the law. It was. <laughs> ah. Okay. And... And I did it till I was 16, and uh-huh. then I, I stopped, and I... Oh, um, so they get some kid that's, like, too young to You're a juvie. Oh. You're a juvie. Oh. So once you get to be 16, you're mm-hmm. an adult, mm-hmm. you know? So my grandfather, who was the bookie, mm-hmm. uh, among many others, said to me, uh, you know, you got to stop this. And I uh-huh. said, why? And he said, because, you know... And, you know, I got, I got pulled in a couple times, even mm-hmm. when he got busted. But, uh, you know, the... You know, some some slick lawyer would come in and he'd go, "Get out of here," uh, and I would look at him and say, "Move, get out." And uh, you know, it was all it was all crazy. But my first legitimate job mm-hmm. <laughs> was working. <laughs> was and you know what the funny thing is? Mm-hmm. My grandfather was really deep into this stuff, mm-hmm. and I learned I learned how to fire a gun from those guys. Right. I learned how to behave. Jeez. You know, I learned loyalty. Mm-hmm. I learned to keep my mouth shut. Right. Uh, you know, a lot of things. And when I was in college, they were still calling me, oh. offering to send me to an Ivy League school to become a lawyer. Oh, boy. Yeah. Interesting. So that's how that stuff works. It, exactly. <laughs> and my grandfather had warned me. He says, do not get involved. He says, have you ever seen me take a vacation? I said, no. And he goes, don't get involved. Uh. And he said, if you try to leave, you don't leave. Mm-hmm. You know, so... Mm-hmm. And and one time I, I was I was a junior I think I was a, a resident advisor, and the two the two security guards in our building we we lived in a 17 story high rise, uh-huh. uh, 
the uh, Toxie and Turner were their names. Uh-huh. They called me up and they said, hey, man, I've got a couple guys want to come up and visit you. And I'm thinking maybe you ought to come down here and talk to them. Uh-huh. And I said, oh, I know who they are. <laughs> they, they were a couple of hoods. Oh, my goodness. And we sat in the lobby and had a nice conversation. And I told them, I said, look, guys, um, you know, I'm out. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, I just I can't do it, you know. Right. And then they understood they, you know, all these beautiful women were walking by all the time, you know, because we had a school of fashion and everything. And they were like, yeah, I get a kid. You know, Uh they left me alone after that. Uh, That's good. You weren't. Yeah. But I was dating a woman or girl who was going to Hunter who lived in the neighborhood. She Mm -hmm. was Italian. Mm -hmm. So we went to her uncle's restaurant at Mm -hmm. Selmer's, which was this yellow brick building in the middle of Bedford Stuyvesant. It's Uh like a, a war zone. And you walked in on one side, all the hoods were sitting. On the other side, all the cops and judges and lawyers. Oh, really? Really. So we sit down, and Anselmo comes out to meet me, shakes my hand, and he's standing there looking at Maria. She's gorgeous, too. Mm-hmm. And he's got his hand on my shoulder. And he says, he leans down, he goes, so who do you know? Oh. And I, I named a few names from Bridgeport. Where, where are you from, Bridgeport? He says, mm. who do you know? And I, na- I dropped a couple of names. He goes, you're good people. Uh, he squeezed my shoulder and he says, take care of my niece. Ah, uh, okay. And that was it. Okay. <laughs> but yeah. So, very interesting. Very interesting. But my first, yeah, very interesting. Crazy. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, my, first, my first legitimate job was working in a hardware store. Ah, I, I got a job assembling lawnmowers mm-hmm. in in the spring, uh-huh. and after a few weeks, she hired me full time, and mm-hmm. I she taught me how to mix paint, uh-huh. uh, which was great. It was a great learning experience. Right, right. right. <clears throat> Another guy there there taught me how to f- uh, fix screens and screen doors and and windows. I got to cut glass. I did everything. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. And it was like it was like the start of becoming a carpenter and, you know, contractor and all that. Yeah. Did you, um, were you, did you, are, were you already inclined towards art or art school? At the, at the oh, oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I played football in my first high school before mm-hmm. I was asked to leave. Uh-oh. And, uh, <laughs> there's another story. Another st- Okay. Podcast <laughs> number do, three. <laughs> we, I was going to say we could do several. Side yes. Project. <laughs> My, my TED Talks. All right. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but uh, I lost my train. And then you got, yeah, the, oh, yeah. The, art, the art. I was I was playing football, mm-hmm. but I was with my brother one Sunday afternoon. He had a Firebird, a Firebird 400. Uh-huh. And we were stopped at a traffic light. And a guy in like a, and this was 1967. Mm-hmm. 67. Okay. And uh, a guy in like a 1954 Oldsmobile station wagon hit rear-ended us going about 60 miles an hour. And I I broke my neck. I oh. cracked a couple of vertebrae in my neck and uh, uh, got a concussion. I mean, got, got kind of, you know, roughed up. Mm-hmm. So my, my doctor, whose name was Ed Dworkin, mm-hmm. sitting there behind... Uh, Behind his desk, smoking a cigarette, of course, because it was 1967. Right, that's what they and did. it was in yeah. the, the medical offices were in the old Columbia Record Building, which was a round building to look like a record. Uh-huh. And uh, I said, so I said, so, Ed, can I play football uh, next year? Uh, he goes, yeah, sure, man. He says, you can play football. What? And I'm like, I'm like, really? And he said, yeah, if you want to be in a wheelchair. Oh, <laughs> 
And I looked at him and it was, it was just so, it was like so brutal. Mm -hmm. He looked at me and he says, don't you do artwork too? And I said, yeah, he goes, be an artist. Be an artist. Right. Right. Be an artist, man. He says, don't, he said, no more boxing, no more football. He's no more contact sports. Yeah. And uh, I, I had pain from it for years. Uh You know, I still do. I still do. But, uh, you know, I, I, I thank him Mm -hmm. to this day for not letting me do that. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, of yeah. course, mm-hmm. you know, when I quit, all the guys on the football team, you know, started calling me faggot and everything. What? So, oh, yeah. Knuckleheads. Knuckleheads. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. It's just, I know, man. It's yeah. like men. <laughs> yeah. I like to see them paint a landscape. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and you, you know, it was, it was, it was an all, all boys Franciscan uh-huh. run Catholic high school, which oh. I hated. Mm. Hated. Mm-hmm. And most of those guys grew up to be, you know, conservative, Republican, racist Trumpers. Oh, that's too bad. And there's only there's only a couple that I'm friends with on Facebook mm-hmm. and still talk to um, that, uh, you know, I can I can tolerate yeah. because they're not like yeah. that. But that's I just, it's heartbreaking, you know, good, actually. good, good Catholic boys, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. yeah or yeah. 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 Good. Is I say a, that. Yeah. I say that ironically. Iron- yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So your let's see your your first uh, oh you, art school. Art school. Yeah. Pratt Institute. Pratt uh, Institute. Pratt. Okay. Are, are we doing the podcast now? Oh or? yeah, we're recording, dude. Oh okay. All right. Yeah. Good. I'll let you listen, um, and you can decide what if some right. parts need to there's, not be there's included. Nothing, it, it's okay. It's okay. okay. <laughs> it's everybody knows the history, you okay. know. Everybody knows the history. Right. <clears throat> but uh, <clears throat> I was I was taking art lessons mm-hmm. even when I was before I was playing football and uh, um, with this guy named Frank Covino, uh-huh. and he was uh, a real good looking guy, really good artist, very classical. Mm-hmm. You know, people can can Google him, uh, and he was a portrait painter. If you remember, like the 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 Lou Rawls albums from like the '60s, there's yeah. one where it's a painted portrait of Lou Rawls. Yeah, Frank, Frank did that. Okay, and he was also involved in a thing in Westport called the uh, uh, the Famous Artist School. Albert Dorn and a bunch of other people. Frank mm. Frank taught there, and it was a mail order school. They call it, it one of those the things, Famous Artist School. The Famous Artist <laughs> School because they were all famous artists. Uh-huh. But, you know, you'd see an ad in like a magazine uh-huh. and it's, you know, if you could draw this portrait, you know, draw right, it and send it to it. us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I did that when I was like 11 or 12 years old. I figured out what is this thing, you know, uh-huh. and uh, I, I, I sent it off uh-huh. and, and they came to my house. They wait, and they came to your house. They came to my house in Bridgeport, uh-huh. right? And uh, my mother was home. I was in school, uh-huh. right? I was like in sixth, seventh grade. Okay. So they, they said, you know, uh, did you draw this? And she said, no, I didn't draw this. And then she figured out that it was me. Mm-hmm. And they said, you know, you should, you know, really sign him up for this class because he's really good. He's talented and all uh-huh. that. And my mother was like, oh, you know, go on, get out of here. <laughs> you know? So I never, I never did it. Right. But uh, the guy left this, this uh, name. Mm-hmm. And then I was at the local art supply store, which was downtown. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, it was called Koenig's mm-hmm. and, uh, the, uh, the older Koenig was a sign painter uh-huh. and, uh, 
his son ran the art store. So, you know, I was always in there and he said, you know, you ever, you ever take art lessons? And I said, no, and I said, no. And he says, well, he said, we got a guy to teach us here named Frank Covino. You ought to sign up mm-hmm. with him. So mm-hmm. I did. I was 14, 13 or 14. And he was really good because he, 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 uh, he taught you how to organize a palette, how to mix paint, how to mix color, um, you know, all the things, how to, how to draw a ball and shadow it, light and shadow, uh-huh, very uh-huh. classical, very, very strict. Uh, in fact, he published a book called The Fine Art of Portraiture by Frank Covino, okay. which, which is, you know, still a good book when you look at it. It's a right. little dated, but mm-hmm. he was doing these, these uh, uh, Time Magazine covers. He did, uh, he did one of uh, Harold Macmillan, who was uh, Prime Minister of Great Britain at the time, did one of Churchill. Uh, so I, I have paintings I did when I was 14 and 15, and people look at them and go, wow, who did those? I said, me, how old were you? I said, 15. Uh-huh. But, you know, it, it was a way to learn. It was discipline. Yeah. You know, it was discipline. And to this day, I mean, I, I've got a picture of them up on my studio wall. I've got a framed framed uh, thing with a bunch of stuff on there. It's Frank Covino, Thomas Jefferson, Charles Bukowski, John oh. Lennon, and Jake Bertho, hey. who's one of my yeah, so one of my instructors at uh, at Pratt. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And, uh huh. And it your, was uh, what's that? Those are your your uh, guides. Your my 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 male heroes. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, Bukowski, because I always thought he was an underrated writer back mm-hmm. when I first, uh, Jake was the guy who turned me on to him. He was carrying a copy of, uh, uh, post office oh, and yeah. he takes out of his big, he used to wear this army surplus jacket. He takes it out. And I said, what's that? He goes, he goes, read this. He's uh-huh. go get a copy. And I, I went to the eighth street bookstore in, uh, um, Manhattan. I think I paid a buck 95 for it or something back then. And uh, it's still one of my favorite novels. And if you haven't yeah. read it, you should read it. Everybody uh, yeah, should read I'll it. read it. I got a lot of catching up to do. but yeah, I, There's a lot of reading to do. But Bukowski's um, Post Office, uh-huh. Ham on Rye, which is one of the toughest books you'll ever read. It's so heartbreaking. Oh. Um, uh, but, but I don't know. Wonder- I, yeah, I'm in, I don't know if I'm in the mood for any heartbreak right now. Oh, but it's like, it's, it's just a wonderful it's, book. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, <clears throat> And, and, of course, you know, a lot of his poetry, um, you know, the, whatever, we, a lot of what he wrote was mm-hmm. just so good. Okay. Chris, Chris, Chris Skura, our, yeah. our friend. He's a big fan. Uh, of Big Bukowski. fan of Bukowski. Yeah. And there's there's a YouTube video of, of Buk. It's called Born Into This. Ah. And it is wonderful. It's about seven minutes long. I okay. Think. But it's it's such a great poem and it's such a timely it's a, it's a, it's a time warp really uh-huh. of, uh, you know, uh, cinema. Fabulous dude. I'll but, check it out. Uh, yeah. Really good. But Jake, okay. Jake was also instrumental and I got uh, into Pratt because okay. talking to Frank, you know, taking lessons, mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, he said, Oh, you know, you're pretty good. You know, you have, you consider a career in this. I told him the famous artist school story and he laughed. He thought that was great. Mm-hmm. So I used to hang out at Frank's house. Uh-huh. I would take the train from Bridgeport to Westport. And he picked me up in his his Buick Wildcat, which hey. was a, a red with a white interior convertible. Okay. Because you know he was he oh, was such a good looking guy. Yeah. He was always hooked up with these beautiful women, and all these <laughs> these these housewives uh-huh. would take his class as well. You know. That right. And there there was uh, yeah, 
So I'm 14 and I'm like hanging out at his house. I'm thinking, man, I want to be an artist. This Mm -hmm. is really cool. You know, (laughs) you get, you get all the good looking women, you meet all these other artists, you know, you're you're swapping, (laughs) you're you're swapping techniques and talking about the arts. Mm -hmm. You know, my, my parents were very, very blue collar. I mean, Bridgeport, blue collar, all factories. Yeah. You know, my, my father worked at Singer sewing machine for like 27 years uh, and then other two, he was a tool and die maker. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. uh, totally. Uh, my mother was a beautician and then a bank teller, but totally, uh, totally unsupportive of what I wanted to do. Right. Yeah. They didn't Just understand. But, didn't understand. But know? they at least got you into classes when you were young. See, that's something. Yeah. That yeah. Was, yeah, yeah they, they did that. They yeah. did that. But uh, yeah, otherwise it was like, what are you doing this for? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, and, you know, considering the time, it was the 60s, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, you know. So I moved on. I was like, no, I got to do this. So Frank mm-hmm. said, so you know, we're going to college. You know, I said, well, I applied to the University of Connecticut because I know I can get in there, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> which cost $250 a semester back then. So hey, when people talk about hell. free college, yeah. it used to be yeah. nearly free. Right, right. You know, so... History lesson, people. Read your yeah, history. It's, it's all right. It wasn't that long ago. When it, was it wasn't that long ago, but, you know, uh, a lot cheaper than what I paid for my daughter to go to college. I bet. I, any private college today, 65 grand a year at least. Uh, yeah, and it's crazy. Geez. Unbelievable. Crazy. Unbelievable. Yep. So anyway, so, yeah. Frank said, and I, and, I, and I applied there. Rhode Island School of Design, mm-hmm. which rejected me, and I'm still resentful. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, <laughs> Cooper, <laughs> I kind of hold a grudge to something, right? <laughs> it's about um, time to let that one go. <laughs> <laughs> I, oh, I did a long time okay. ago, believe me. Uh, <laughs> Cooper Union, which mm-hmm. I really wanted to get into because it was free. All uh-huh. you had to do is pay for housing. Uh, I see. Um, didn't get in there, but, man, that was rigorous. Mm-hmm. That was tough to get into. Uh, okay. Um, and... Uh, the Columbus College of Art and Design in uh, Columbus, Ohio, which okay. did accept me. Mm-hmm. And it was more of a like a advertising school, technical school, uh-huh. drafting and advertising. They had a fine arts department, but not very big. Mm-hmm. But I, I was accepted. I actually sent them a deposit. Of, you know, it was like $80, you mm-hmm. know, which was a lot of money back then. Yeah. To, to hold a room and, and to get in. <clears throat> And never heard a thing from Pratt. And then one day I get uh, I get a letter in the mail. It's like we want to interview you. We want to look at your portfolio. Ah. So I took a train down there uh, with a friend of mine, my friend Dennis, uh, who was with me in that all boys high school who mm-hmm. left on the same day I did. Ah. There is a story there. Um, he came down, and it, there was a postal strike at the time. So this was 1969. And of course, you know, it was the, the New York City was polluted, the smog. You what could year? 69? 69. Yeah. Before, okay. before the EPA was created by none, none other than Richard Nixon. Yeah, we visited but in 78, and it was uh, still pretty funky. Still pretty gross. Yeah. So I, it, was, it was getting cleaned up, though. Uh-huh. It was getting cleaned up. But uh, it was it was really funky. There was a postal strike, and the National Guard was up. They called the National Guard out for some reason. I have no idea why. 
Wow. And and it may, it may have been Ryan's. Maybe my mm-hmm. my my addled brain is mm-hmm. misremembering. But I remember it was really funky. And Dennis and I get to Grand Central. I have my portfolio. We get on a train. He said, "You know where this place is?" I said, "I don't know. It's in yeah. Brooklyn." Mm-hmm. So we t- we took the A train and we get off and we're in the middle of Bedford Stuyvesant, which is like a hundred percent black. Mm-hmm. And you know we walk out and there's these guys on the street corner and they say, "Yo, man, what are you doing?" And I uh-huh. said, oh, "I'm you know I'm looking for the school. It's called Pratt." Mm-hmm. And he goes, "Yeah, because you guys don't belong here." Uh-huh. And, and I said, "Well, kind of, you know." But I said, "We're lost." Mm-hmm. So he, he he takes me by the by the the elbow and he turns me around and he said, "Look up that street." He said, "You see those tall buildings? Those three tall buildings through the through the smog?" Uh-huh. And I said, "I do." And he goes, "That's where you want to be." And I said, how far of a walk? He goes, you ain't walking. He said, you got some money on you? And I'm like, yeah. So he calls over a private car service. I remember uh-huh. when I got the Pratt, it was Black Pearl car service. Uh-huh. Because no yellow cabs would ever go to Bedford Stuyvesant. Oh, they know? had to do their own thing. They had to do their own thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> you know, it's like, and, and when I was a cab driver, <laughs> they, they said to me, you know, specifically, do not go to Bed-Stuy, do not go to these neighborhoods, uh-huh. you know, do not go to Harlem. And I'm like, why? And they go, uh-huh. you got to ask, you shouldn't be driving a cab. Right, like, you know, right. Which I stupid, but anyway. But, well, there are, there are stories. <laughs> there are stories, Things, you know, yeah. but. But right. I, but, go ahead, go so ahead. So he pulls, he pulls this guy over mm-hmm. and he leans in and I guess they know each other. Uh-huh. He said, take, he said, take these, uh, take these guys up to, up the road there, up to Willoughby's, to Pratt. Mm-hmm. And he said, and he said, don't overcharge him. <laughs> so the guy took us up there, and I had a an interview with this, this uh, guy whose name was Gene Garfinkel. And um, oh, I thought, my God, you know, he's got gray hair and a beard. He must, mm-hmm. he must be 80 years old. Uh-huh. You know, I'm like, I'm like 17, 18. <laughs> And uh, it turns out Gene was like 40 uh-huh. at the time. Oh. Uh, he lived to be like 85 mm-hmm. years old. Mm-hmm. But he interviewed me and he, you know, he said, hi, oh, he said, you know, he said, painting's really good. You know, he said, I, I had Frank as a student, you know, he said, I know Frank wrote a letter of recommendation oh, for you. Come on. And um, he said, you're drawing not so good. He said, but we can, we can help you there. Mm-hmm. Um so he said, uh, I'll tell you what. He says, I'll let you in if you agree to take my color class. Oh. And at the time, I thought, what's, what's a color class, you know? Uh-huh. So I said, okay, yeah. you know, I'll, I'll do that. Right. That's uh, a deal. So, so I walk out, and my friend Dennis says, so you know, you're out. I said, I think I'm in. He goes, what do you mean you think you're in? I said, he said he would accept me. So Dennis opens the door. It's the kind of guy he was. He goes, yo, Gene, uh-huh. is he in or out? Gene goes, oh, he's in. Oh, and he goes, funny. oh, good. Thanks, man. <laughs> and we left. <laughs> so your friend, just to get it, like, get yeah, it clear, yeah, get it clarified. <laughs> clarified. We want, we, want, we want this solid. I'm not living with this guy if he's unsure. Right, right. So I, I, I went to school in Brooklyn. It was, yeah. it was fantastic. It was, it was great. And I still get together twice a year with a number of friends that I made at Pratt. We get uh-huh. together at a restaurant in Springfield, Mass., which is halfway between all of us. Mm-hmm. And uh, twice a year. You know, lifelong friends from there. So I think I'm looking at a photo of you guys uh, on your Facebook page. Oh, yeah, yeah. At the Student Prince. Yeah. Yeah, a bunch of us, yeah. Wonderful afternoon with the league. What's that? Wonderful afternoon with this 
league of truly extraordinary gentlemen at our favorite yeah. gathering place. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yep. Dude. Yep. Yep. Looking good. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was a, it's a, it's been, it's been bought out by another family, but it uh, was, it's been in Springfield mass since like the thirties. Uh-huh. And when we, when I first came up with this idea, like 15 years ago, I, I looked what, what's halfway and it was Springfield. Uh-huh, uh-huh. It was the only restaurant open in Springfield on a Saturday or a Sunday. Mm-hmm, perfect. Because Springfield was down on its heels. Now it's like really come back. Uh, and they've expanded the restaurant and the menu and all, but it's mm-hmm. German American food. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's still a good place. And we, and we still go there. So, uh, We've cool. got a tentative date in June, but with everything going on, who knows what's going to happen. Yeah, who knows how it's going to be. So, Come on. play by ear. Play by ear, dude. Yeah. Well, yeah, listen, went to Pratt. Huh? I said went to Pratt. Went to Pratt. Jake Barrico, who was, who was instrumental in my development. Wait, I missed that name. Say what's that? With, the, the phone cut out. You said J- Jake, the guy from... Yeah, Jake, Jake uh, Bertho. Uh, Bertho, okay. B e r t h o t. Okay. Uh, really good painter. Mm-hmm. Jake is one of the only people, only instructors. He is the only instructor I had. That anytime I was in a show in New York, mm-hmm. which were mostly group shows, uh-huh. he always he always came to the opening. Oh, that's too good. Always. That's that and, is beyond the. Ah, uh, uh, he was just he was super, mm-hmm. and you know, kind of kind of a strange guy, mm-hmm. uh, but but you know, the kind of guy you wanted to emulate really mm-hmm. as an artist. But if he saw you on the street, mm-hmm. he wouldn't say, how you doing? He would look at you and go, how's your work? Oh, are you working? You know, <laughs> He'd skip a, just, skip a step. No, no time for the small talk. No, exactly. <laughs> You're painting. I want to come to your studio. I want to look, ah. you know? <clears throat> so he was a non-objective painter for many, many years. Uh-huh. And then, and I actually, uh, myself and Phil Rivlin used to do a lot of carpentry work for him in okay. the studio. Okay. And um, <clears throat> he uh, he moved. He got he got mar- remarried, uh-huh. and he moved uh-huh. to the Catskills. Uh-huh. And his first show after he moved to the Catskills, he went from being a non-objective painter to a landscape painter. Uh-huh. And he always said to me, "Why why are you doing landscape?" You know, you mm-hmm. stopped doing abstract paintings. And I explained the thing about being upstate New York. And uh, <clears throat> and he would and he was supportive of it. You know, he mm-hmm. thought it was kind of strange, but he was supportive of it. And uh, the first show he had as a landscape painter was, I think it was at David McKee. And uh, he, uh, there were good paintings, good drawings. So in the guest book, I wrote, Dear Jake, welcome to the club. Uh-huh. <laughs> by name. And uh, a few a few months later, I see him on the street, and he's like half a block away from me, and he starts shaking his finger at me, uh, and laughing. Uh, <laughs> and he said, "You you sob you." And I said, "Welcome to the club, Jake." <laughs> and he says, "Yeah." He said, "I came over to the dark side too." <laughs> but uh, it's really good paintings. Again, beautiful. if people yeah. people listening to this, mm-hmm. you know, look them up, Google them. Yeah, uh, a lot of interviews. Okay. Uh, still, the estate is still handled by Betty Cunningham okay. Gallery in New York. Yeah, uh, I'll check him out. Yeah, yeah, good guy, really awesome. good guy. Awesome. Yeah, but uh, yeah, that was that was that. And then after Pratt, I taught school for a while. Oh. We we graduated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like like my daughter will graduate into a world that's unknown right now. Right. Um, 
<clears throat> it was a re- ter- terrible recession. Uh-huh. What year um, was it? It was 74. Oh, Nixon yeah. had resigned. Jerry Ford was president. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything was, you know, really bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> a couple years later, that's when they had the famous uh, headline in the Daily News, uh, Ford to New York City, drop dead. Ouch. They didn't want to lend a New York City any money to bail it out. Dude, that's not very and, nice. And, uh, you know, it, it, it worked so out for New York, you know, oh. better anyway. But, uh, yeah, I taught school, but on, on uh, days off, I was painting apartments and doing carpentry oh. jobs and make, making more money. Were you, so, were you doing that just because you wanted more money or because teaching wasn't paying the oh, bills? Oh, I, I wanted more money. Uh-huh. Uh, I needed more money. Uh-huh. Uh, uh-huh. Uh, the, the job itself, it was a private school. It didn't pay that much. Mm-hmm. Okay. But, uh, you, know, I, I, you know, I figured, why not work? But yeah, yeah. Keep your right. Keep your hands busy. Keep keep busy. Yeah. And uh, and um, eventually, I got laid off from that job. And which one? Uh, went the in, teaching or the the teaching? Oh. The teaching. Uh, then I went into uh, into a carpentry full time. Okay. You know, started started uh, doing a lot more bigger jobs and you know learning more and doing more bigger jobs. Like uh, what type of carpentry? I mean, were you like building houses or were you do were you oh, it was all it was all in Manhattan and uh-huh. most of it at the start <clears throat> we we worked uh work I worked on a job with a couple guys who probably 70 75 76 mm-hmm. to like 78 or so uh-huh. and then again after that for a few years big building on uh on Perry Street uh-huh. uh guy bought the building they were I think it was 8,000 square foot floors. Mm. Uh, he subdivided them into four apartments each. And he oh. took the top floor and then built an addition above that. Well, uh, it was huge. Big, big, big project. Uh, it had been a warehouse of sorts. Mm-hmm. And some of the floors actually had asphalt on them. Ah. And it was also uh, a bomb shelter during the nuclear threat. Ah, amazing. So when we were in there in the mid seventies, there were there were uh, like thirty five gallon tins of water, uh, fresh fresh uh, water, like still fresh there? water. Air quotes. They were still there. Uh-huh. Uh, meals, you know, like K rations. Wow. All this, all this nuclear stuff, mm-hmm. you know. Mm. So it's like, what do we do with this stuff? Eat. Um, and, and yeah, well, that's what it was. It was, a, it was a warehouse for sundries, like soaps and everything. Okay. And, and, and we're, Ugh. we're up on the, we're up on the fifth or sixth floor and mm-hmm. there were like, you know, a dozen Mm-mm. 55 gallon drums filled with liquid soap. Oh my God. I'll never forget. It's like the, the, the Mason Vinny, the mm-hmm. Jamaican guy, Vinny and his, his, uh, his tender, uh, whose name was Cleveland. Mm-hmm. He said, well, I said, what are we going to do with these, Vinny? And he said, Cleveland. He said, help me move these. And he was rolling. He said, Rich, help me move these. And we rolled them all over to the elevator shaft. Uh-huh. And we were running the elevator at the time. It was a freight elevator. Uh-huh. So we, we moved the elevator up a couple of feet above the floor. Uh-huh. And Vinny and myself and Cleveland no. knocked the barrels over. And Vinny took a, uh, my hammer, my S-wing hammer. <sighs> And knocked a couple of holes in it, and no. all the soap starts pouring down. Rich, that is disgusting. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, 
So we do about three of these barrels, <laughs> and all of a sudden, Cleveland goes, Vinny, in a Jamaican accent, mm-hmm. you know, Vinny. He said, we got to stop. He said, why? He said, look, there were bubbles coming up the elevator shaft. Mm, yeah. And because there were yeah. broken windows at the top of the elevator shaft, the entire six stories was filled with bubbles mm-hmm. and coming out of the out of the elevator shaft all over lower Manhattan mm-hmm. in, the, in the West Village. It looked like the Lawrence Welk show ah, with, well. with champagne bubbles, you know? Okay, well, it was worth it for that. But I guess you didn't dump the rest of them down there, right? No, <laughs> no, because the owner came up and said, yeah, you know, He said, what do the this, hell you know? are you doing, right? <laughs> but Vinny says, he said, at least it cleaned the elevator shaft. Right. <laughs> but, we, I mean, crazy things like that. But we, you know, we, we did that building and then a lot of, a lot of loft renovations mm-hmm. in Soho. And then in Tribeca, okay. Um, and I would say to people, even even back then in the seventies and eighties, I uh-huh. said, you know, I said, you know, we're we're contributing to, uh, you know, we're basically we're, we're working our way out of Manhattan, mm-hmm. doing mm-hmm. doing these renovations because you know all of a sudden, you know, we were doing renovations for artists mm-hmm. who um, this one building on uh, North Moore Street. A bunch of artists took it over, <clears throat> and they got the building from the owner um, um, very cheap. And then they got their spaces by agreeing to do different things. Like my electrician actually got a floor there uh, for nothing to do the, oh. the electrical service. Oh, that the sounds good. Wait, I missed that. You that he gave people uh, apartments or floors. Yeah, for doing labor? higher floors or a half a floor. So, uh-huh. so Jim, Jim, Jim did the electric in the building. Uh-huh. Another guy did the plumbing. You know, everybody did something. Uh-huh. So we were working in, in places like that for artists. Uh-huh. And and then the artists would sell or move or, you know, other people were coming in with more money. Mm-hmm. And then there were, you know, uh, there were gallery dealers. And mm-hmm. then there were like lawyers and photographers and it just kept getting more and more expensive <clears throat> and i and i knew things were changing when i walked into a place on spring street once uh-huh. and uh, we went over the renovation and the guy i was working for he said what do you think i said i said this will be easy he goes why i said i built this place about eight mm-hmm. years ago uh-huh. so i was redoing it uh-huh. so it was you know and i did did a lot of high-end things i did a i did a coffee store on bleaker street mm-hmm. um uh, then I started doing, I did a couple of restaurants. Uh-huh. Um, uh, Phil, Phil Riblin and I did, did a restaurant on Cornelia, Cornelia street called home. home. And that was, that was in the later eighties. Uh-huh. But, uh, <clears throat> a lot of things, a lot of things, a lot of high end work, wow. which I really didn't like doing like park yeah. Avenue apartments and things like that. Why, why is that? <clears throat> harder to get materials in and out of buildings. Oh, right. right. Uh, people were fussier. Um, about having uh, about, strangers. About everything. The... Yeah, yeah, about okay. You know, rules and regulations, you can mm-hmm. only work certain times. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, having done this for many years, they were, the, the wealthy people were more likely to hold back money and never pay you than poor people. Like, uh... Yeah. Because they can get away with it, because they can wear you out because in court. They could get away with it. Yeah, exactly. God damn it. 
And, uh, you know, I, I used to have to fight for my money from a lot of people like that. That's ridiculous. And they were, and they were crazy. I mean, too, it's like one woman called me once and she said, uh, I said, Oh, you know, Mrs. So-and-so, how is everything? She says, fine. She goes, but on, on the electrical cover plate, she said, all the screws go in different directions. And what? I went, okay. Which... And I thought, I'm thinking on my feet and I said, what direction would you like them to go in? Do you want them vertical or horizontal or at a 45 degree mm -hmm. angle? <laughs> and she says, I'll, I'll take them all vertical. Mm -hmm. I said, okay. So I grabbed one of my carpenters, a guy named Yoshi, Yoshi Terrazano, who is a great carpenter. Uh -huh. And I said, Yoshi <clears throat> gave him some money. I said, go to the job, you know, move all the electrical cover plate, you know, screws the, to vertical. Mm -hmm. I said, on the way over, buy her some flowers. Uh -huh. oh. Don't leave without the final check. Good politics. Yeah. Yep. So, but I don't <clears throat> understand uh, the, the, the problem. What was the, what? There was no problem at all. Oh. It's just that she didn't like it. She didn't like the way it was. She didn't like that they all went in different directions. I don't know, it, but but I, I don't know. I'm, I don't have a good view of the panel of the. I don't have a. a well, no, no. If, you, if you've got an outlet on the wall, there's a single screw. Right. And if you have a switch, there's two screws, top and bottom. Okay. They're little tiny screws, right? Right. Okay. It bothered her that right. they went in different directions. The the uh, the, the slot pointed a different yeah. way. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So, oh you know, my. while I'm on the phone with her, I'm thinking, you know, they probably make drugs for a problem like this. She, yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll send somebody to do it. So Actually. when Yoshi comes back, mm -hmm. he hands me the check and he looks at me and he says, that woman's crazy. <laughs> and I said, yeah, but we got our check. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> but to this day, mm -hmm. because of that, mm -hmm. when I do electrical work, uh -huh. I will put all the screws facing. Oh, vertical. okay. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. You know? It's just one of those things. But I did find, and, and other people told me, if you did commercial work, mm -hmm. like you're doing a storefront or a store renovation, mm -hmm. or if you worked, uh, uh, we did this uh, several renovations uh, on East 14th Street in these buildings. Uh -huh. We would charge uh, $15,000 to go in, and there were these little 400-square-foot tenement apartments. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and we would, uh, we, would, we would strip them bare, uh, put in all new electrical service, all new plumbing, uh, fix the floor joists, put in new floors, new tile in the bathrooms, mm -hmm. found the source for these little like 42 inch wide uh, uh, or long uh, bathtubs, took mm -hmm. the bath bathtubs out of the kitchen and made a real bathroom for them. Okay. Because a lot of them shared bathrooms yeah. in the hall still, you know, like Amazing. in the 80s. And uh, we would do all this for fourteen thousand or fifteen thousand mm -hmm. dollars, and put in these little IKEA kitchens. Okay. And people were so grateful that uh, they didn't have to share a bathroom anymore. Mm -hmm. That everything was brand spanking new. Yeah. That they would they would invite us to lunch, mm -hmm. dinner, you know, tell mm -hmm. us that they had daughters who were young and married, at, you know, of, <laughs> of ages to be married, oh, you know? Oh, my goodness. Oh. You know, things like that. But they were so darn grateful. Amazing. It, it was just, it was amazing. And I thought, man, this is, and, and for commercial work, it was mm -hmm. like, you know, we have to open in two months. Mm -hmm. Okay, no problem. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if all the screws on the electrical plates didn't 
go the same way. They didn't care. They, they just care. wanted to open the store. Just be finished. Right, right, right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, same thing with restaurants. We've uh-huh. got to open. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so that's, that's, you know, that's what I, I did. See. Okay. Now, just for briefly, you mentioned you drove a cab. So I, I wanted I want to hear a little bit about that and then move on to your first museum gallery job. Yeah, well, drove the cab not for long. Uh-huh. I hated it. I really yeah. hated it. Uh, it was it was not a, it was not a fun job. Uh, I realized I just didn't like doing it, so mm-hmm. I didn't do that for long. Okay. But uh, <clears throat> the better job I had in college was working for a catering service. Uh-huh. Uh, I learned how to cook. Yeah, I learned how to be a server. Right, right. Uh, we would we would l- work long weekends, uh-huh. but made good money. Uh-huh. And. Uh, you know, I, years later, I actually taught cooking, too. So, um, you know, I, I, I learned another good skill set there. Um, and in fact, when when uh, when I was working at the Guggenheim, I would almost always hire somebody that worked in food service, no matter what they did, ah. because you have to if you worked in a kitchen, mm-hmm. you have to be focused and you have to be quick. And right. Your time. You're right. You're yep, you got time great. And- Great time management skills. And if you're a server, you Mm -hmm. know how to juggle literally and figuratively. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I would just say, you know, what would you do before this? I was working in a pizza parlor. Okay, you're hired. You're hired. Yeah. And they did a lot of bussing tables before my first museum job. Yeah. Yeah. And people (laughs) would say, why did you hire me? I said, you worked in food service. Mm -hmm. And I would tell them why. Mm -hmm. But uh, I did that. And then gallery jobs. uh, Yeah. um, One of the guys I was working with in. doing carpent, carpenter work, carpentry work and painting apartments. Uh-huh. Uh, he, he worked at David McKee gallery occasionally uh-huh. back when McKee was uh, just starting out. He was in the Barbizon hotel on Lexington and 64th street, I think, That's which true. was an all, all women, all women, uh-huh. a women's hotel, uh, residential hotel where they would actually serve them breakfast and dinner oh, hey. as well as give them a room. There were several places in Manhattan like that. A lot of people don't know about them, don't know the history of them. Uh-huh. But the Barbizon was one. And also, the Salvation Army had two locations. One was on Gramercy Park South, and one was on 34th Street near the, one of the entrances to the Lincoln Tunnel. Uh-huh. And you could get a cheap room and breakfast and dinner, and if you wanted, a box lunch. And, and I know this because my cousin, who uh-huh. was a writer and, and working in New York, uh, lived at the one on uh, the, the, two, the two Salvation Army places, uh-huh. first on Gramercy and then on 34th Street. Uh-huh. So there were these residential hotels and like rooming houses. But uh, McKee was in there. And that was great okay. because it was it was the 70s. Mm-hmm. And he was just starting out. And I think he came from Marlboro Gallery. I, I don't know the history, mm-hmm. but um, he was very gracious, paid us well, mm-hmm. and I got to meet a lot of a lot of great artists there. Uh, uh, the, yeah. the one that stands out more than any is Philip Gustin. Oh, really? Yeah, I got to meet Gustin. Ah, what was he and, like? And uh, uh, he, he was big and burly, mm-hmm. and, you know, very arty looking, mm-hmm. you know, in a in a very workman like way. Uh-huh. Um, and the uh, uh, there was he had this one giant painting that McKee actually sold that day, and uh, the client wanted to meet Gustin too. So, you know, it was like a showing. You know, uh-huh. we, we just sort of standing around, you know, watching this 
dog and pony show. It was great. Uh, and, uh, you know, you want to see the other painting. So we'd move one painting and bring another one out. Oh, yeah. And of course it was a smallish space. So we went up beforehand and put everything in order mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so that <laughs> we weren't fumbling around. Yeah. And, and that was, that was another great thing I got from Jake Bertho. And he said, if you ever have a studio visit, he said, have your nail situation in order. And I said, what do you mean? He said, make sure you have enough nails in your wall so you don't have to be putting nails in the wall for the for somebody right. to look at your work. Have all that he lived in a yeah. place. He li- yeah, he lived in a place on Grand Street with brick walls. And he, mm-hmm. and he told me this this horribly funny story oh, about no. fumbling, trying to get nails into the concrete and everything. Oh, my God. Um, and then Jake eventually showed at McKee Gallery mm-hmm. for many years. But uh, we got our nail situation together and painting stacked in the order they, that McKee wanted to show them. Uh-huh. So when when the painting was sold, uh, uh, my memory serves me is that Gustin said to McKee, he said, now, he said, let's go down to Canal Street. So there's a restaurant down there I used to go to when I was poor. He said, let's get fish cakes and spaghetti. Uh-huh. Beautiful. And there was there was a like an old man's diner, working working class diner on uh-huh. Canal Street, uh-huh. and on the menu it was it was fish cakes and spaghetti with red sauce. Ah, sounds and delicious. And if you never had it, it's not so bad. Ah, yeah, it sounds good. <laughs> it sounds awful, but it was you know well, it, that was his that mm-hmm. was his nostalgic meal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. poor man's meal. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, worked for McKee, and then. And then actually Phil Rivlin again, because yeah, I've known uh, Phil since crap. Uh-huh, uh, uh-huh. He, got, he got a gig. Somebody called him, got a gig at the Museum of the American Indian. Really? Which, uh, Where is that? Had a store. Well, it had, oh. it had, it was originally on Audubon Terrace at 155th and Broadway. Uh-huh. Uh, it, it, it was, it shared uh, buildings with the, uh, the Hispanic Society. Mm-hmm which was next door, which had two of the most gorgeous Goya paintings I've ever seen. Uh-huh. Uh, the National Geologic Society, the National Numismatic, or, you know, Coin Collector Society. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Audubon Terrace was built by John J. Audubon on his land, you know, uh-huh. to house these places. <clears throat> but uh, the Museum of the American Indian had a storage facility in the Bronx. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was the the High uh, Hay Foundation, I think H E Y E Hay Foundation. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. He was this rich guy who went out west and bought all this Indian stuff back when okay. that was supposed to be okay. Right, right, right. <clears throat> but they had a Seneca cabin, uh-huh. a log cabin on right the here. property, uh-huh. and and the people back then you would you would drive by I think on I ninety five in the Bronx. Mm-hmm. And you would see this cabin. It was uh-huh. like, well, what's that thing doing there? Uh-huh. So they hired Phil to, to deconstruct it. The cabin? The cabin. Uh-huh. They were going to put it in storage because it was getting damaged from, mm-hmm. from the vibrations from the highway. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <clears throat> and the storage facility itself was this beautiful brick building, about three or four stories high. And, uh, and Phil goes up there and uh, he, he calls me up. He said, I got this job. And he goes, he said, I can't do it, Rich. I said, why? He goes, he said, you get up on top of the cabin on the roof and it shakes from all the trucks going by. Oh, sh- oh. And I said, all right, I'll come. I'll mm-hmm. go up. So we went up together. Uh, and it was great because uh, there was a bus where I was living on 26th Street and Phil was too. He was living between 6th and 7th Avenue. I was between 6th and Broadway. Uh-huh. 
there was a bus that stopped on uh, 26th Street in Madison. Mm-hmm. It was a private bus company mm-hmm. that went to Westchester in the Bronx. Uh-huh. And one of those buses dropped you off like two blocks from the, the foundation up there, Perfect. the museum foundation. So we would take the bus up and I go up there and we bring some tools and, uh, you know, he introduces me and I get up on the cabin and you know, the thing was just vibrating like crazy. <laughs> oh my God. And, and I'm like, I'm up there, you know, with my tool belt on and, and like taking, <laughs> taking boards apart and, mm-hmm. uh, and they had a registrar there and a curator uh, uh, numbering and lettering all the boards and cataloging uh, them. You know, I was taking them okay. off, handing them down to Phil. Well, that means and we got yeah. we got it done. Yeah, you, you, know? you went. Obviously, you went slow enough so that nothing uh, ended up collapsing with you. Exactly. It, it, we we got it done safely, and the people <laughs> up there were like really impressed. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> we got. Uh, we got uh, another, uh, at least one other job mm-hmm. that I remember. It was uh, uh, for the place on Audubon Terrace, building the pedestals uh, and other things, display cases for a show called uh, Arctic Ivory, uh, uh-huh. all this carved ivory from uh, Alaska and Canada and everything, uh-huh. which was great. The pedestals, we used sauna tubes and covered them in this dark blue fabric. Uh-huh. So the show was very dark, you know, with this kind of blue tones mm-hmm. with spotlights. So it looked like winter in in the north, mm-hmm. you know, spotlighting the uh, the artifacts, which was really great to do. And our the guy running the place up there, I think, was Tom Doyle. Mm-hmm. I think his name was who had been married. He had been married to Eva Hess, and uh, uh-huh. he was a sculptor. Okay. And, uh, you know, so they're all artists, you know, carpenters working on these jobs. Okay. Okay. Another guy who worked there, his mother wrote that book, uh, who's it, uh, paint, painting on the right side of the brain or thinking on the right, oh, right. side of the Popular book or something. Book. Yeah. 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 He was, he was her son. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so met, met a lot of good people. And that was like, that's, uh, you know, that's what I liked about working in galleries because you would meet other artists uh-huh. Uh-huh. and you would get other jobs. Yeah. 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 You know, and a lot of the construction jobs I did, too. I remember we did uh, this guy, Tibor Kalman, was a big advertising guy uh-huh. back in the day. We were doing his um, his brownstone up on it was like 70th Street in Lexington or something. Mm-hmm. Met a lot of great people there. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> uh, the guy running that job, the manager, was a guy named Rick Kolbeck. Mm-hmm. Uh, big, big barrel-chested uh, Englishman, Irishman, uh-huh. English, Irish, something like that. Grew up in Liverpool. Uh-huh. Uh, very funny guy, good carpenter, like 100% alcoholic. Uh, and uh, I got to be friendly with him, and we did jobs later on mm-hmm. uh, together. But Rick was drinking really bad. and mm-hmm. uh, uh, He played me a couple of his recordings, and mm-hmm. Miles Davis was his hero. Uh-huh. So very similar stuff. But oh, so he, really, he he was a he made he was a jazz musician, a jazz musician, yeah. And but I'll tell you, man, he was really good. Uh-huh. And uh, there was a sax player that worked with us too, named Otis Harris. Mm-hmm. And Otis too was like, uh, you know, total alcoholic. Uh. Um, <clears throat> so I'm over Rick's place one day, and I'm looking around, and on his desk there's a photograph. <coughs> 
And I pick it up, and it's like these two two young guys mm-hmm. uh, in a shipyard, mm-hmm. you know, real gritty black and white photograph. And I look at it, I said, I said, Rick, I said, I says, what is this? And he goes, well, that's me and a, a mate of mine. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I, you know, I, I see that's you. And I said, the other guy looks like Paul McCartney. Uh-huh. And he goes, it is. Uh-huh. <clears throat> he said, I grew up with him. Ah. And I said, you're kidding. He goes, no. And he goes, he said, obviously, I made the right choice by going into jazz rather than uh, rock and roll. <laughs> <clears throat> and I, I said, really? I said, that's, that's, that's kind of unbelievable. But, you know, I'm, I'm looking at it. Mm-hmm. But he told me, he said, he said, don't let anybody say anything to you about Paul McCartney that he's a bad person. Wait. He said, every time, he said, every time Paul comes to New York to do a concert, uh-huh. he always calls me up. He said, he'll take me out to lunch or dinner. Uh-huh. He always lays free tickets on me. Uh-huh. And he said, if I need money, he'll lend it to me. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. And he, and he said, you know, a great guy. Mm-hmm. Great guy. Yeah. So <clears throat> Rick, Rick unfortunately drank himself to death at the age of 42. Oh, shit. That's too bad. Yeah. And he and I were doing a job, and uh, we were going to go to a party one night. And uh, I went to pick him up, and he didn't answer his door. Mm-hmm. Called the next day, nothing. So I called the uh, I called the police, and they they uh, uh, and then went over there. And their neighbors had actually called before because mm-hmm. he had he had, had a burst pancreas, mm-hmm. and he bled out. Uh, and blood was dripping. Oh, jeez. From the ceiling uh, of the neighbor's apartment. So yeah, uh, yeah. Poor Rick. Terrible. Went that way. Yeah. Terrible. Terrible stuff, but you know I have great memories of him. Uh-huh. <clears throat> yeah. um, you know, really, really good it's guy. It's a human story, yeah. Very, very nice guy. Uh-huh. But uh, yeah, so he did that. But you know, met a lot of good people, mm-hmm. and and, uh, and 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 you ended up uh, as a crew chief for the Pro Serve Department at Guggenheim, which I, I kind of witnessed because I was working there at the time. You, you were, yeah. I was a, I was a, one of the guys in the red jumpsuits. One of the art handlers in the red jumpsuits. That's I, re, I, re, I remember that the yeah. red jumpsuits. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we. Yeah, like spiders from Mars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. When did you start at the Guggenheim? I when was it re, when it reopened. Around 1992. Yeah, I was like the first new uh, freelancer, uh, right before before we opened. So I was running around. When they getting were things ready. getting things doing, yeah, I helped. Uh, I helped uh, Laura Atenau. Me and her were new on the same day, and we unpacked uh, all the lighting fixtures for the that oh, lighting cool. system. Yeah, and um, <clears throat> and so on and so forth. But yeah, so I was on Joe's crew for a while. And yep, then, yep. Because Joe was new too. Joe was yeah. I think he was new as a supervisor. He he was because he, yeah. he was working I think at the George Adams Gallery. Mm-hmm. I think he was working for George Adams. Right. Okay. Up. Well, yeah. I know from talking to Joe that he <coughs> was a freelancer at the uh, Guggenheim before, and that's, and it, right, that's right, what spurred him to apply for that. Uh, gotcha. Job. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, tell me. So give me your story. How'd you end up there? What you know? Well, I was doing I was doing work. We we're working for the this company. Uh, because I, I was trying to work as a con- <clears throat> contractor, I had my own company. Uh-huh. 
But when I didn't have work, I worked for other people. Did mm-hmm. whatever I could. Yeah. And yeah. I was going, I was going through a divorce. Okay. Um, <clears throat> That's a hard <throat> time, no matter what. That was hard times. Yeah. But uh, <clears throat> I got separated the end of '87. Okay. And uh, um, I I hooked on with this guy. Um, who was a wannabe contractor mm-hmm. and uh, Phil, Phil Rivlin and I were doing a job on Mulberry street, I think. Uh. And he said, I've got this job coming up on, on Elizabeth street, which mm-hmm. was like the next block. Mm-hmm. He said, you want to go look at it? And I said, sure. So we go, it's 298 Elizabeth street mm-hmm. and a very, uh, a, a podcast in and of itself. Uh-huh. It was the offices for rush productions who ran Run DMC, the Beastie Boys, LL Cool J, um, really? Frank Ocean, all these all these rap groups. Wow. We built the offices for Rush Productions, uh-huh. built a recording studio in the basement, which we had to dig out, oh. um, <clears throat> and built Rick Rubin's residence wow. on the top floor. Oh, I would which have he like never lived been there for that. <laughs> he never lived in it. Uh, it was one of the best jobs I ever had. Wow. And uh, uh, Rick and uh, Russell Simmons, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I always say, and I'm still friends with Danny Simmons on Facebook, uh-huh. the older brother, uh-huh. um, some of the best people I've ever met. Uh, um, cool. Just, you know, super good people. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, worked work for them for about a year and a half, I think. Okay. And then did work for Russell after that was done. But uh-huh. we built Rick's residence, mm-hmm. which, again, as I say, it's a podcast unto itself, the, the travails of 298. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, seven-foot square jacuzzi tub, oh, um, custom-made custom oak kitchen, stained black, all stainless steel appliances, uh, you know, the whole Hazarai, so to speak. Gee whiz. Uh, but that year was the first year they held the Grammys in L.A. Mm-hmm. And Rick was a Brooklyn kid from, uh, I think, Coney Island. Mm-hmm. And uh, he went to NYU. <clears throat> so he flew out to L.A. Mm-hmm. And, and at the time, he did have long hair and a beard, but mm-hmm. it was about a third of the length it is now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he went out to L.A. and he came back and he said, what am I doing here? Oh. <laughs> and he moved to L.A. Hilarious. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, so, but that building was great. Uh, mm-hmm. That that job was fantastic. Mm-hmm. So through that, we hooked up with another company who was doing contracting work, mm-hmm. and through them, I met Peter Reed. Peter Reed, yeah. Who was doing? Uh, we were doing. We were doing a job on Sutton Place. It was two bathrooms. Mm-hmm. This was 1989, I think. Okay. And Peter knew I was going through a divorce, mm-hmm. and uh, <clears throat> um, Peter made these two medicine cabinets uh-huh. that were amazing. They were like Dr. Calgary's cabinet, in a way, because there were all these pipes in the walls of this building that you could not move. Uh-huh. So he made these medicine cabinets where you would have these little niches oh. and then flat spots where you could put things, so mm-hmm. you open them up, and they were amazing. Uh-huh. And uh, I told him, man, you know, you're a good cabinet maker. You uh-huh. know? And he said, yeah, you know, he said, I've been doing this for a while. Uh-huh. He said, but I, I just got uh, I just got a full-time job. And I said, where? And he goes, Guggenheim Museum. They're reopening up. I'm going to uh-huh. be their cabinet maker. 
So he's he was in that in that wood shop out on uh, for the Forty Seventh Street the, warehouse, the mysterious place that we're yeah. not supposed to talk about. Yeah. Yes, unidentified, yeah, building, unidentified, <laughs> stable building. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, a USB, <laughs> uh, and it's not a port. Um, but uh, so he got that, and uh, and I was like, ah, oh, you know, that's too bad because you know I like working with him, and mm-hmm. you know all this. And he calls me up one day or one night, whatever, and he said, hey, uh, you know, the Guggenheim, um, they need they need somebody to do this job, and I uh-huh. want to do it. And I said, sure. So I met him up there, and if you remember Tower Two, yes, up to Tannhauser Four, mm-hmm. there was the balcony. Yeah, with the. I if don't, you're in, if I you're don't in, know. The, the windows, the. Well, the, the Tannhauser had the windows. Right. And also, there was uh, where the Mayo sculpture was, when you walked in and there was a oh. Picasso painting, the woman uh, with the golden hair, there was a balcony uh, there. Right. We installed a, a, a Moore there, a Henry Moore. Exactly. That yeah. too. Okay. Uh, they, wanted, they wanted Tower 2 to be, they wanted a wall to cover that. Because they were mm-hmm. doing some show in there, and they, mm-hmm. they didn't want the mm-hmm. people overlooking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. Phil, Phil and I went in and built that wall, mm-hmm. and then built the, the small wall in Tannhauser Four, mm-hmm. and and you know uh, made space for another painting to be hung. Really, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and uh, I went up there, and uh, my my wife just found my first paycheck from the Guggenheim hey. recently. <laughs> uh, it was my my very first paycheck from them which was not a lot of money, no. but, uh, you know, we, we, we got it done. Phil and I got it done mm-hmm. and I'll never forget. We're like day one. We're in there. We, you know, we put the studs up, put the sheetrock up and we go and get sandwiches and we're sitting there eating our lunches in, in T2 and Pam oh, Myers inside the building. <laughs> <laughs> no. Who knew? Who knew? Yeah. Just, what are you doing? It's just, we're eating. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously. Because yeah. can't eat in here. No. You so I'm like, told. why not? And you say, well, because the art, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So yeah. Phil and I go outside. Yeah. And, um, you know, we did that. Yeah. Oh, I do have to uh, give credit to uh, Pam Myers. Uh, it was through her that I ended up getting hired. Yeah. She, me too. It really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. She, she, she was the one who hired me mm-hmm. full time too. Oh, yeah. 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 No, I, yeah. Don't eat in the galleries, Rich. <laughs> <laughs> Don't eat the gallows. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> uh, no, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it was like, and I, and I I had that feeling, though, right from the beginning, mm-hmm. that this was a good gig. Yeah, yeah. And I'm thinking, Thank you, how right. can I get in here? Right, right. And I don't think it was immediate, but soon after, I think it was Peter or Joe called me mm-hmm. and said, you want to do more work? And it was like, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, and somehow, and I'd, I'd have to talk to Phil Rivlin about this, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, it kind of steamrolled from there. And, mm-hmm. um, we did, uh, we did the Russian show. Yep. I think the Russian show mm-hmm. was the first show I worked on. Yeah. With, uh, Zaha Hadid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I remember I was, I was painting, we were painting pedestals. I, I remember one of the problems was Zaha Hadid oh, yes. wanted like one side dark gray, one side light gray, another side another color. That was and the designer the, from that show. Yeah, Zaha Hadid. Ah, okay. Since passed yes. away. 
Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Really good architect, mm-hmm. but tough to work for. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I remember. And uh, and uh, <laughs> we, I came up mm-hmm. with this idea because everybody was having trouble, you know, with a roller or with a brush, and mm-hmm. it wasn't clean. And she was like complaining about it. It's, so yeah. I got a foam, I got a foam brush, mm-hmm. and using a foam brush with just the right amount of paint on it, you mm-hmm. could do a perfectly straight, crisp line. Okay, so you got the edges. And I, I think like. You know, Joe like looked at me like, "How'd you figure that out?" Mm-hmm. I, said, I just I just did it, mm-hmm. and uh, it's a miracle. A miracle, <laughs> yeah. You know, but it was like problem solving. Yeah, you know? yeah. And I remember people, you know, registrars and curators would come and say, "We have we have a problem." And I used to say to them later on, mm-hmm. oh, "I don't have problems in my world. I have conditions that can be." changed and fixed there you go and that was it but it was like can do spirit (laughs) learning learning how to do things in the kitchen you know Mm -hmm. for catering yeah Yeah, Uh, yeah. you know uh, uh, i once cooked asparagus for a party Mm -hmm. uh, running hot water through a black rubber hose over over the asparagus in (laughs) holland and these are like industrial colleges like three feet across so Okay, now now I'm impressed, I, but also it made, you, it made you cough. It made me a little grossed out. Yeah, but uh, but we, we're doing this at the last minute. We get the yeah. whole party done. We're to mm-hmm. put it in the truck, go to the party. It was, mm-hmm. We haven't cooked the asparagus, mm-hmm. and it was the big thick asparagus called <laughs> yeah, Martha Washington, I think. Mm-hmm. And it's like, how are we going to cook this? So we ran the hot water through this black rubber hose. Okay, and I tasted it, and I said, it's cooked. Ah, I said, okay. but we've got a problem. Mm-hmm. And and my. Uh, my uh, co-worker, Terry, says, what's the matter? I said, taste me. He goes, oh, God, it tastes like black rubber hose. Yeah. So we look at each other, and we, and we and in unison, go, hollandaise sauce. Ah. We whipped up a hollandaise sauce, smothered in hollandaise sauce. Mm-hmm. The people at the party said it was the best asparagus they, they ever it. ate. Yeah, yeah. It had <laughs> so a hint of mystery of... Just think on your feet and do something and pull mm-hmm. it off. Even yeah, though it's yeah. Like, cooking it with a black rubber hose. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, so when, when the Russian show was over, I'll never forget, I had this this uh, circular saw, mm-hmm. and Joe said, uh, he calls me down, he goes, uh, of course he towers over me, yeah. towers over most people. Everybody, right. He says, yo, you know, I tell you what, right. you, you got to go, you and Phil, and they, and they used to call us Moose and Squirrel. Oh, cute, from yeah. It sounds like They'd a Joe, that's like a Joeism. Where is Moose and Squirrel? Moose and Squirrel. <laughs> so, so, I'll let you guess who the Moose and the Squirrel. Yeah, is. I think I figured but, it out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we go down. We go down to the grotto, mm-hmm. our famous office. Yeah. In the basement, mm-hmm. and and just I tell you what, you get you guys take a couple of my crew. You go up to Tower Five. So get rid of them pedestals. He said, we got a couple. Got some. Uh, we got some containers up there. Mm-hmm. Some rollaways. Get rid of them. So I said, okay. So we go up, and I had Phil. I think I had two other people from mm-hmm. the crew, and, and I can't remember who it was. Mm-hmm. A couple of our handlers. Uh-huh. <clears throat> so they said, how are we going to do this? And they're up there with hammers, trying oh, to cut them yeah. apart. And right, I said, tell you what. Yeah. I, I, I set a couple of them down the same size to make a, a table. Mm-hmm. I said, pop them up here. And mm-hmm. I turned my, my circular saw on, yeah. and I just started cutting through them, and I had them flip them. Every mm-hmm. time I went through one side, they'd flip them. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And you could pancake them. Yeah. You know, and, and, and tear them apart. And I said to him, I want you to st- 
stuff them in these rollaways. And I said, mm. I don't want any space in oh, there. Oh, the little dumpsters that roll, they can the they, dumpsters, roll away. Yeah, 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 little, little mini dumpsters. dumpsters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. So I said, stuff them mm-hmm. so that a cockroach can't get in there. I'll pack them tight. And right. we did this. Uh-huh. And there were, you remember how many pedestals there were. There had to be a hundred. This was after the rest. Pedestals. Yeah, I remember. I think I assembled this one, helped assemble this long snaking thing. Yep. Yep. That's my memory of, of that designer where it was, I was starving. It was time for lunch. And it was like nothing, everything was just not quite right. And I was inside. For some reason, <laughs> I was inside of it doing something. And then I was on outside lifting, and she's got more instructions. And I'm like waiting. Somebody got us to take a lunch break, which I am thankful for. But it was right before I was about to, you know, flip out. Yeah. <laughs> It, it was a tough, show. yeah. It was a tough show to pull off, and so right um, there was a lot. That was one thing that was, it was a lot of work, but it was also hard to watch all that material just get thrown out. It was, yeah. it was. But I was like, you know, I was just, I was just there. They said get rid of it, yep. and you know, and do, you couldn't, right. and you couldn't reuse those anyplace right. else because they were cut at a degree and a half. Uh, and they were, you know, site specific, you right. know. And, but I mean, people were taking plywood and stuff that mm-hmm. was salvageable. I remember that mm-hmm. people were always going home with stuff under their arms. Yeah, yeah. But I got I got that done in a couple of hours. Mm-hmm. I remember uh, Mark DeMiro, the building manager, came through. I think, and he said, "What are you going to do?" I said, "I'm going to cut these up." Mm-hmm. So he turned off the HVAC in there so it wouldn't blow dust everywhere, and we closed the doors and we taped them up, and. We got it done in a couple hours, got all the containers on the street, and I go downstairs to the grotto, and uh-huh. Joe says, what are you doing here? Uh-huh. I said, I'm finished. Uh-huh. And he looks at me, he goes, how can you be finished? I said, I'm done. We're done. Uh-huh. I said, you, you two guys went back to the other crew. Mm-hmm. And he couldn't believe it. And we went up to the street, and he looked at all the containers, mm-hmm. and we went up to Tower 5, which we had swept up and everything. Mm-hmm. And he was like, oh, mm-hmm. how'd you do that, you know? <laughs> And I just said, you know, I shrugged my shoulders. So mm-hmm. I think he was impressed by things like that. Yeah. And, you know, eventually they just kept hiring. Uh-huh. And eventually they hired me full time. So awesome. Awesome. But it was, it was a great gig. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's so, like, I, I often think, uh, I, did you work on the Armani show? That was much later. I don't think so. Yeah. I think I, uh-huh. I didn't come. I may have worked there in in 2000. I know it, well, that was my last year that I that I was in New York, but I don't know if I had worked at the Guggenheim for then. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I did not work on that show. All right, that's where we had the mud pedestals, and we carpeted the entire museum with gray carpeting. Uh, no, I do not remember that. Yeah, <clears throat> well, you know, that was a tough show to do. But, uh-huh. uh, <clears throat> the Armani wanted the uh, museum carpeted. Just the uh, floors, right? Not the walls. The, f- the floors. Okay. The floors in in the main building, in the Frank Lloyd Wright building. I don't think what? we did it in the tower galleries. He carpeted the the terrazzo floors on the in the main building. Yep. The like the ramps. Yep, the ramps, all the ramps. <laughs> and it was uh, we we used we used to use this company consolidated uh-huh. Arnie. Mm-hmm. Arnie comes over, measures, and mm-hmm. all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And it turned out it was a quarter of a million dollars worth of 100% wool carpeting. Then, and uh, to this day, I know there were people 
in Manhattan and Brooklyn and Queens and mm-hmm. New, and New Jersey mm-hmm. who have that carpeting in their apartments. Oh, okay. Because people cut those pieces mm-hmm. up and brought trucks and hired uh, trucks and hired Daniel Pena uh, to move it to their apartments because it was great carpeting. Ah, uh, okay. I'm glad <clears> it got <throat> salvaged. Yeah. <laughs> and oh, most of it, hardly any of it went into the dumpsters. Okay, good. And, uh, <clears throat> and I think Bob Eusekis, who still lives on the Bowery, I think his place is carpeted. Bob, good job, yeah. Yeah, too tall, Bob. Yeah. Always, always have a couple of very tall people on your crew. Right. Always uh-huh. have a couple of very short people short. on your crew, <laughs> because the short people and the the skinny people can get into the tight spots, mm-hmm. and the tall people don't need ladders. Right. Ah, beautiful. Love it. Yeah. Love so it. yeah, I mean, I had Good a philosophy because people would say to me like, you know, why'd you hire Charlie Friedman? And I said because mm-hmm. he needed a job and he's a small guy. Mm-hmm. You know, he can Charlie. he can do just. Yeah. You know Charlie. Yeah, I remember Charlie. Yeah. Charlie's great, man. I, I love Charlie. He, like he he said to me once, he messaged me. He said he said, You gave me my first job in New York City. He said, mm-hmm. I didn't get that job. I was going back to Nebraska. Ah. He, said, because, he said, because of you, he said, I'm an artist. Ah. Good job. And I'm like, cool, you know. Good deal, Charlie. And it's like Rob Gainford, who's mm-hmm. been on your podcast. Said, yeah. So many people. Mm-hmm. From the Guggenheim crew went on to work in museums. Mm-hmm. Uh, Doug Matlaga, you know, has Doug. his company in Philadelphia. Yeah. You know, every a lot of people, mm-hmm. a lot of people, you know, kept going and, and doing it, which mm-hmm. was great. You know, it was. And I used to tell people, be nice to each other, network with each other. Mm-hmm. If you get a job somewhere and you need help, call one of these people. Mm-hmm. You yeah, know. Yeah. These are your friends. These are yeah. good workers. Yeah, yeah. And and it, it was a great networking opportunity for a lot of people. Yeah, oh, Charlie's Yeah. You know, really good artists. Yeah. You know, exactly. very, very innovative. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so good folks, you know. Yeah. Good deal. But that's 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 uh, how it happened. But, yeah, a lot of great stories from yeah. that time. I did 10 years there. Ten, did my time. And then that's I pretty left. good. Yeah, pretty good. <clears throat> so how did yep. you uh, transition out? What was uh... I'd been living in Manhattan on Twenty Sixth Street, uh-huh. and when I was there, I was running the crew for both Ten Seventy One, the oh. Frank Lloyd Wright Building, right, and Soho, right, right. So we would finish a job uptown and immediately go downtown. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Most of the time, they didn't overlap by very much. Mm-hmm. So I'm working two places. Right, right. And we also, our crew did all the office work. You know, Peter built bookshelves. We would install oh, you them. installed them. In, oh. Uh, we painted offices. Okay. Um, the offices were in Soho. There were other offices, other locations, uh-huh. Uh-huh. mysterious buildings somewhere in the world. Yeah. Uh, so we were doing jobs everywhere. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, before I moved into the grotto for my office, mm-hmm. uh, my office was on the unfinished stage of the theater in, oh. in the 1071 building. Uh-huh. <clears throat> so when, when they started doing the theater, we actually helped doing some of that, too. Okay. And, oh. uh, Did, you know, so I was doing a lot of work. Mm-hmm. And Did you uh, end up working in, in Spain and Las Vegas? I did. I did. I went to Las Vegas for a few days. Uh-huh. <clears throat> to uh, to figure out how we could do art handling in the hotel because it was in what was it in the Venetian hotel oh so you couldn't you 
and we didn't have any we didn't have any uh, space created yet as like back office space mm-hmm. or you know behind the scenes space. They had mm-hmm. to do it in, in hotel rooms. Mm-hmm. So they they well, I think they connected a, a few of the hotel rooms were connected because uh-huh. you could rent them out like for big groups. Mm-hmm. And um, I had to go there and find out what was the biggest painting or piece of sculpture they could get in. Because you had doorways that mm-hmm. were not museum doorways, oh. so they were limited in what they could do. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and then that museum did not last long because nine eleven happened. Right. Uh, and I did go to Spain for a couple of weeks to to do that also, mm-hmm. build the back, build um, a back of the scenes place places uh, there. Okay. I only went the one time. I wish I had gone again after that, but uh-huh. they never sent me. Okay. Um, but. With with all of that other work, mm-hmm. uh, I actually did 94 shows in the 10 years I was there. Amazing. And I was burned out. Yeah. I, w- I was absolutely burned out. Sure. And uh, at some point, <clears throat> at some point, my wife and I decided um, we were either going to get a country place mm-hmm. um, in New Jersey somewhere, like, um, where was it, Hackettstown. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. We were looking around there, New Hope and Hackett's. Mm-hmm. Now we were going to buy a small weekend place, and then she said, "Why don't we just move?" Move on. And I was—I did not own my loft. I was under the loft law that Ed Koch had created. What does that mean? Uh, um, that? Ed Koch came up with this thing. I mean, a, a short history of lofts. Uh-huh. Uh, there used to be a thing called AIR, Artist in Residence, uh-huh. that uh, when Soho happened. Uh, Soho was such a, a horrible place at the time that artists started moving in there. The uh-huh. fire department called it Hell's Hundred Acres. Really? Because there were so many fires there. It was all manufacturing. Uh-huh. <clears throat> so people would take, artists would move into buildings. And at the time, the fire department, uh, their mandate was put the fire out. Mm-hmm. But then when there were people in buildings, mm-hmm. they started changing their way of doing things to you save the people first. Oh, if they're in the building, you save the people uh-huh. and you put the fire out. Okay. So when they were going to Soho, you know, all of a sudden in the middle of the night, there'd be a fire and people would be running out of the buildings because uh-huh. they were on fire. Uh-huh. And they were like, what's going on? And they said, well, we're living there. You can't live there. Yeah, but we're living there. Uh-huh. So um, Robert Wagner, who was mayor said to the fire department uh-huh. and the buildings department, just evict them all. Get rid of them. Oh. And when when John Lindsay was was uh, elected mayor, mm-hmm. he said, "You can't stop progress. You can't stop this. So if you can't stop it, what do you do? You protect them." Right. Right. So he came up with this program, artist in residence. Okay. So you could have two floors in a six story, five or six story building that mm-hmm. were residential, mm-hmm. but you had a plaque that went on the outside of the building that said A I R three and say AIR five, mm-hmm. meaning on the third floor and the fifth floor, you had occupants. I see. I see. Residential occupants. Uh-huh. So it saved lives mm-hmm. and it spurred Soho to like, you know, transition from manufacturing to a gallery area and, uh-huh. and living lofts. Okay. So that was, that went into lofts in other parts of the city. And I was up in, um, in what they call now Nomad, north of Madison Square, uh-huh. And Chelsea in the Flower District, 
there were a lot of us living illegally in mixed-use buildings that were offices, manufacturing, and living. Uh-huh. And Ed Koch, when he became mayor, uh-huh. <clears throat> decided to come up with this thing called the loft law, uh-huh. where it, it made every residential tenant in a certain parameter, mm-hmm. um, and my building just made it into that line, uh, they, they were rent-stabilized, not rent-controlled, but rent-stabilized. Uh-huh. And that owners of the buildings had to do the necessary work to make our spaces legal okay. and safe. I see. So the law flaw came along. Mm-hmm. But my landlord, who was a filmmaker, mm-hmm. uh, did a lot of work with PBS. My, my neighbors were uh, PBS people, mm-hmm. uh, American Masters ah. uh, uh, series. They were doing the American Masters series. And uh, he said to us at one time, if you ever want to move, I'm going to give you this much money, no less, no more. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not going to negotiate, you know, blah, blah, blah. I've been right. good to you and all that. And he was. Right. He was a good, he was a good uh, landlord. Right, right. Uh, Amram, Amram Novak was his name. Ah. Um, really good guy. Um, and... Uh, so my wife and I decided we would leave, and we looked in Brooklyn, and we looked here, and we looked there, mm-hmm. and we decided we finally moved to uh, uh, New Jersey, uh, Teaneck, New Jersey. Oh, oh. and uh, bought a bought a little house out there. Bought the bought the cat lady's house for nothing, uh-huh. Uh-huh. and renovated it, <laughs> and and it was nice. It was a really beautiful house. Yeah, uh, it's called an American Four Square where you have a kitchen, living, and dining room on the first floor and four bedrooms and a bathroom on the top floor. Okay. 25 okay. foot square. Okay. You know, small house, but, but really nice. Okay. Um, but since I was getting burned out, my mm-hmm. wife was, uh, you know, uh, um, working in the city, but then, mm-hmm. then she got pregnant mm-hmm. and got our daughter, Anna, in 97. Nice. Okay. Um, okay. Um, and uh, we were getting burned out. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, Brooklyn, Manhattan, doing all that work. Yeah. <clears throat> and uh, I got a job in uh, up here, and I moved to Vermont. Okay. Uh, but uh, okay, so you you moved to New Jersey first, but still kind of worked in the city. Oh, uh, yeah. I was the first first half of the Guggenheim. I mm-hmm. was in in on Twenty Sixth Street, uh-huh. and in ninety six July. July first, ninety six. Uh-huh. We moved to uh, New Jersey. I see. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> we bought the, we bought the house in June, uh-huh. and we moved to New Jersey. Well, moved in in air quotes because I mm-hmm. took the month of July off. I had so much comp time and vacation time uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, <clears throat> saved up. I took the month off mm-hmm. and renovated the house, which was a mess. Uh-huh. Um, <clears throat> alcoholic cat lady, fourteen cats. Oh. And three garbage cans filled with Popov vodka bottles. Jeez. Did you inherit the cats or what? No, no, thank God. Uh. But uh, it was so bad. Mm-hmm. It was so bad that I had to tear out the, the they, they kept most of the cats on the first floor. Mm-hmm. I had to tear out all the oak flooring. Oh, no. Because oh, it was sucks. saturated with right. cat urine. Cat stink, yeah. And Heck, most yeah. of the baseboards, because it was, mm. they were rotting from cat stink. Oh. And I'm thinking, you know, 
uh, and the house was built in 1921, 25, something like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. So the subfloor were, were, were boards. They weren't plywood. They were like one by six uh-huh. boards, but laid in a diagonal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so I mean, the, the, the house was solid. Structurally sound, yeah. And somewhere while I'm, I'm tearing all this stuff out, the kitchen was an old metal kitchen. Mm-hmm. I'll never forget the kitchen floor had four layers of flooring. Ah. And and the last layer, they put down three-eighth inch plywood uh-huh. using resin-coated nails on a three-inch grid. Uh, I, I kid you not. Amazing. There was a 10 by 10 foot kitchen. So, and I could never get a piece of that plywood up bigger than three square inches. <laughs> and I'll, I'll, I'll find a picture and I'll, I'll mm-hmm. message it to you. Okay. <laughs> because you'll, you'll see me in my glory mm-hmm. uh, wearing a mask and with a big crowbar <laughs> but i tore that that uh, flooring out mm-hmm. and somewhere in my travels i kept thinking i know how to get rid of urine mm-hmm. smell and i i looked it up in a book it was this thing called the old house journal mm-hmm. and somebody had bought a, a a place that was in the same condition mm-hmm. and they said what you do <clears throat> is pour pure clorox bleach on it every oh, day at least once a day. That is insane. It, it's seriously insane. Yeah. And you pour it on until it stops foaming up. Uh, once it stops foaming up, you've killed the urine. Mm-hmm. But then you have to neutralize it by pouring vinegar, vinegar. white vinegar on mm-hmm. it. Amazing. Until, you know, you can't do it anymore. And I did that. Mm-hmm. And it worked. Okay. It worked. But oh, this boy. was a time, this was a time around when there was a lot of terrorism going on in this country mm-hmm. of, of a different sort. So if you're buying pathway. large amounts of chemicals. I'm, I'm in a path mark in like Hackensack, New Jersey. Path mark. Uh-huh. Right. right. Okay. With, with three shopping carts <laughs> filled with Clorox and vinegar. Yeah, not a good look. And, and dressed in construction clothes, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Not a good look. Nobody mm-hmm. stopped me. I couldn't believe it. Mm-hmm. You know? Fill up the old Saab 900 with all this and bring it back and, and get it. <laughs> but uh, you know, then you know, uh, then um, Anna was born in '97. We moved there in '96. Anna was born in October '97, uh-huh. and then we were both burning out. Okay, and uh, we moved north. Moved up to uh, 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 to Vermont. Vermont, and and worked at the, Vermont. He worked at the Hood Museum for a couple of years. I worked. I worked at the uh, Hood Museum for uh, for a couple of years, and then uh, left there. Uh-huh. I uh, I did kitchen design for a number of years, uh-huh. hardware stores, things like that. Uh huh. So, uh, yeah, it was it was interesting. Uh, what do you? <laughs> what's that? What's going on in there? <laughs> oh, I just I had to move. I had to I had to grab something and. Okay. I have a neighbor. We go walking, but uh, ah, okay. Go for the walk, and I said uh, not today. Okay. All but right. Uh, all right. So you went. You wound down with. You were. Did you retire? Did you plan to retire this? Oh, I, I was. I was done. Yeah. I was done. You know. Yeah. But, uh, it, it had gotten to the point where you know I I just I just didn't want to work anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, my whole life I wanted to get to the point where I could uh, I could actually. Uh, do artwork full time. Yeah. And even when I was working, I was doing artwork, mm-hmm. which you know. Right, right. Uh, 
year. Mm. Uh, you know, I, I was doing artwork uh, all along, but I, I wanted to get to a point where I could do it full time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, I, uh, you know, I was smart over the years. I, I took advantage of uh, um, the retirement plan at, uh, at the Guggenheim. Okay. Uh, and, uh, my, you know, personal savings over mm -hmm. the years, uh, putting it into IRAs. Ah, okay. Um, and you know, year, when I was doing that, when I was doing that big co-op job on, uh, on, uh, Perry street in mm -hmm. the West village, mm -hmm. um, I had to get legitimate at that time. So I had to open a savings account and checking account and all that. Okay. And I, and I went to a, uh, a Chase Bank, and there was a guy there, Cuban Cuban American guy, who mm -hmm. hooked me up with uh, retirement accounts. He said, "You know, you got you got to save for your retirement." Uh -huh. I said, "Oh man, I'm like 25 years old. I don't need that." You don't, he goes, right. No, you need it. Yeah. You need it. So he had me buying CDs when they were paying a lot of money. They were like yeah. 12 and 16 percent. Uh, great then to have someone advise you. Early it was on. great. Yeah, it was great. You know, I think I think part of, part of my being successful and mm -hmm. the things I've done mm -hmm. is not only that I've done them, but I listened to people who had done it before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know, it's like you listen and you learn. Yeah. 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 You know, the, the guy I learned cooking from and the, and the catering service mm -hmm. was great. He was, uh, he was, uh, Brad actually had a hospitality school at the time in a cooking school. So he uh -huh. taught there and I learned from him. Um, learn how to invest from this, this banker, you know, that kept me going. Perfect. Um, when I was worked as a carpenter on, on Perry street job, there was a guy named Lenny Teleska uh -huh. who was about five foot four, but one of the best carpenters I ever worked with. Uh, uh, just an amazing guy, you know, uh, taught me a lot. Um, and, uh, you know, you listen. So I did that. And then, um, you know, I just, I, I saved my money and, uh, uh, I always paid into social security. Smart. So, yeah, yeah. you know, that I helps. know a lot of, a lot of people back in the day were doing cash jobs and right. You know, there's no record and there's no, and, and you didn't pay in, mm -hmm. you know, and when, when I did it, I worked for people. And so, you know, I could pay a cash and I said, mm -hmm. I'll take a check, right, you know, right. make sure that they paid the unemployment tax and the mm -hmm. social security. Uh -huh. And when I had my own business, I paid into it. Mm -hmm. So, um, uh, I got to a point, you know, I mean, I'm 68 years old now. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm tired. It's retirement time. <laughs> I, yeah. Yeah. Man. I, I've, I've, I've been working from, you know, carrying those betting slips and cash money since I was like 10 years old. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, now you, you've raised a daughter, right? She's, has she graduated from college yet? Uh, she's graduating this year. Awesome. Although the graduation has been postponed. Oh, right. You can graduate, but you can't go to the can't celebrate <laughs> ain't, ain't gonna happen uh, i had to cancel my reservations down there and everything mm, so uh, yeah yeah it's too bad too bad for the whole, whole class of 2020 it's yeah, not only her like it's right every college it's hundreds of thousands of people right they they will never forget their graduation mm -hmm. yeah because they stayed at home <laughs> and freaking wore a mask <laughs> exactly yeah so now yeah. you just make art now you got your art studio Yep, you got my studio, which I built. Uh, I built above my garage in my house. Okay. Uh, a year or so after I moved here, mm -hmm. I came. I came up, uh, put a ladder up here, and looked at the space, and I said, "I can do something up yeah. here." Yeah. 
and, uh, you know, did it on weekends mm-hmm. and, uh, put a propane heater in through the wall, propane heater. Okay. Okay. Um, keeps the studio warm. I put a, uh, I repurposed a patio door that they left here when they did a renovation on the house mm-hmm. to be my entrance. So I've got light coming in from the back. I got light from the front, put a window in the front. Awesome. And when I had my roof done, I put two skylights in the oh, yeah. garage roof. So oh, yeah. and it basically replicates the studio I had when I went to Pratt. Oh, okay. It's, um, you know, it's about 12 by 24 feet. Okay. Yeah, that's a good size. You know, it's not overly large, but no. I don't paint large. So, right, right. You know, that's that's okay. Yeah. But it's comfy. It's my yeah. place. Beautiful. Freaking beautiful. Yeah, yeah. So, so. But, you know, I, I spent a lot of years working and, you know, there were yeah. some bad times, but there were more, more good times, you know. And, right. Uh, over the years, met a lot of really interesting Funny people, interesting and great people. You know, it's 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 been a good ride. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's been a good ride. You I know, I don't that. regret it at all. No, and like like every every story sparks a new story. Like uh, exactly, it happened exactly. when I talked to Julie. I've known Julie uh, Knight, Chris's wife. Yep, I've known her for over thirty years. And when she started talking, I was like, "Oh yeah, she Julie knows about all these things." I wasn't prepared to talk about that. You know? Exactly. But, um, it's your memory check. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I, yeah. Uh, um, so listen, thanks so much for talking to me, Rich. Oh, thank you for having me. Yeah. It's it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, this has been awesome. I still have, I still have my voice too. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah, you pulled it off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> pulled it off. Yeah, and, and speaking of Julie, though, uh-huh. I hired Chris and Julie on the same day. Ah, perfect. They, they, Good they call. met me in Soho, and, and two of the, again, two terrific people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, thanks for doing this. This yeah. is good. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome for me, too. I'm, lear- I'm learning a lot. Like, I'm, like, compiling stories and, you know, taking notes. So. <laughs> it's it's important, man. You're doing yeah. a, you're doing a great service yeah, for yeah. you know Thank for you, artists and yeah. you know it's like uh, and trust me, man. I got a thousand more stories. Yeah, I believe you do. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, maybe I'll maybe I'll call you up for a follow up sometime in the future. Oh, anything, anything you want, man. Oh, okay. I, could, I could probably chime in on something. <laughs> awesome, dude. <laughs> All right, Rich. I will. Um, unless you can think of something that I that I miss that needs to be included. I'm going to, you know, play out the music and share your website. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Website. Yeah. My website is up and my mm-hmm. Etsy shop. Okay. Which is Red House Studio Red 527. Okay. And, yeah. uh, and, and as I tell people, if you Google my name and put the word artist behind it, mm-hmm. far more information pops up about me than I ever thought possible. Didn't you? Right, right. It is amazing. Like, <laughs> it is <happens>? amazing. <laughs> That's the good part of the internet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I appreciate it. I appreciate sure. you sharing the website, which is richgombar.com and, okay. and the Etsy shop. Yeah. All right. Yeah, beautiful. Share all that. Keep on doing what you're doing, Larry. I will. I will. <laughs> all you, right, you're, dude. You were one of my success stories. <laughs> ah, thank you. <laughs> glad, that, glad that it went that way. <laughs> Me too. Me too. All right, Thank Rich. You. Sure. Take it easy, buddy. Thank you. Okay, great talk with Mr. Gumbar. I know he turned to his next painting as soon as we hung up the phone. Thanks, Rich.
I've been Larry Fort. Thank you for listening to Limited Perspective.